All right, let's get to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, and thank you for this opportunity that we have around your word. Thank you for every person in the house, every person online, and every person that watches it after today. God, I just ask that you'll open up all our hearts to become more like you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, last time it was a plane, this week it's a limo. I need you, for real, because you have no idea what goes into this stuff. So let me help you out. We got a volunteer team that bought a full brand, not what's brand new, a full limo, cut the limo in half to get it on this stage and then make sure it looks appropriate. It took them all of two weeks to pull it off. Will you help me honor the men and women that pulled this off for the glory of God? All right. All right. So next week, I'm going to come out of the limo, but I ain't doing that today. Uh, uh, they got to secure it real good for me to do that. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, there's a show called The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Ah, here's how it goes. It goes like this. Uh, uh, a dude or a girl, uh, they, they're the one that, are, that has to be selected. So this, like, if it's The Bachelor, you know the show, about, you know, 25, 30, I don't know how many people. And then as the show goes on, they eliminate people that didn't fit the bill. And so there's this one moment in the show where if you get selected, you get a rose. And if you stay on the stage and you didn't get a rose, then it is bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye. Bye, 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 you didn't get a rose. <laughs> so, that's what it is. Same thing when it's the bachelorette, the guys come, okay? Now, the, the, the reason we do this as a show is because ultimately they want to get to one person that is the prize. Everybody else, all the stuff that you done did behind closed doors to try and win the person, it's only one person will get that final rose. And then after that, then they have a show called After the Rose. After the Rose is when everybody come back and do, do the tell-all story. I can't believe he slept with me and then he didn't pick me. I feel bad because I can't stand her. She's too catty. And that's where you hear all the drama, all the regrets, all the stories, and people complain and people are bawling their heads off because they did not get selected. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to suggest to you today that the reason we have a divorce problem is because we have a dating problem. And when people walk around and try to find Mr. Right based on how they feel and not what God's Word says, no wonder we end up into situations that we have no business going into. I have a simple thesis for today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and my thesis is this. It's really, really simple. It says, ladies and gentlemen, the reason you have a married problem is because you have single people problems that you brought into your marriage. The reason you struggle from a married friends in your marriage is because nobody was courageous enough to help you deal with your single problem. So then you brought it into your marriage, and in light of that, now you're trying to get out because you didn't deal with the issues you had when you were single. Don't pretend as if I'm faking this. I could go down your lane. Since I'm not getting amens, let me go down your lane. 
Let me, no, don't say amen now. It's too late. I'm going down there. I'm going all the way down there. You had a porn problem and you thought marriage would fix it. Oh, so no, you don't want to say no, no. Huh? You thought marriage would fix it because you don't have to have and feel guilt when you have sex now, but you want so much that it does not satisfy you. So all of a sudden now you go right back to porn. Uh-huh. You had an addiction before marriage, and you thought somehow because he or she showed up, all of a sudden the addiction would not be there, and it is still there even though you're mad. But now you got somebody looking in your face saying you better stop the foolishness. And now you want to blame the other person for highlighting it. My God, okay, let me walk down a couple more out. You had a, you had a car addiction before you got married. Now you get married, and now you want to spend all of the money on a new car every three years. You had a shopping addiction before, and all of a sudden now, when both people come together and you want to save for the future, because you didn't stop it before you got married, you can't stop it after you got married. What I'm trying to suggest to you is that the drama that started when you were single, you better deal with that because it's going to be maximized when you get married. Ah, somebody up there don't like me already. Let's talk to you one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, my concern is if you only knew that the word dating only showed up 130 years ago, before that, nobody had a clue about this thing that we do today called dating. No wonder so many people get in and get out so easy. 130 years ago, the reason the word dating came about, about in its original form is because somebody got divorced, and when they then went to go on, quote-unquote, dates, what they were really doing is exchanging sexual favors as they went out on the date to get back with the person, get back at the person. So, ladies and gentlemen, the way this whole word started was all about sexual favor. No wonder today. So many people, when you go on a date, you expect a happy ending. My mind, if I have to explain any of that to you, God bless your soul. <laughs> we, got, we got young ones in here, so I've got to use code language. Is that all right, everybody? Good. Now, today I'm going to talk from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. Paul is talking to his protege, and he is saying to the young man, I want you to, uh, there are five areas I want you to uphold, and these five areas are so vital, Timothy, I want you to make sure that you are trying to grow in these five areas. So instead of going after just whatever, Paul is telling us, these are five areas you should go after. Let's pick it up in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and you'll see all five. Paul talking to Timothy says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather... In speech, conduct, love, 
faith and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. In other words, Paul's saying, if you want to know what you should look for in somebody that says they love Jesus, you ought to look for people who can manage their speech, who can manage their conduct, who demonstrate love, who demonstrates faith, and who demonstrates purity. The problem, however, is you, you and I live in a culture that wants to push the Bible out of the culture while simultaneously denigrate anything that God opposes. And it's embedded in who we are as a country. You got to remember, a strength taken too far becomes a weakness. Say that with me. You're going to get this. A strength taken too far becomes a if you look in your notes, I highlight whenever we sing our national anthem, whenever we, we, we get real patriotic, there's some things that come out that, that are strengths that have made our country great, but taken too far, you will leave God out. Be careful. They're incredible strengths. It's, who, it's why we have this entrepreneurial spirit that we have, that there's nothing we can't do, and it's an incredible strength. But if you're not careful, what this generation is seeking to do is to leave God out. And when you do, not God at the foundation, but to say, God, we actually don't need you. We can pull it off ourselves. And what we're getting back to is the Tower of Babel. Let me show you. Look at the five areas that our country celebrates. Number one, self-sufficiency. I don't need nothing outside of me. I can pull it off by myself. If you let me get five or six people, there's nothing we can't do and we can solve it. So just let us have it. We don't need anybody else. Number two, independence. I don't need God. I can do this by myself. I can pull myself up with my bootstraps and I can pull. I don't need nobody else. Number three, you know this one, happiness. God didn't promise you happiness, but our culture demands it. And if you're not happy, then they say, well, something must not be good, and it cannot be God. Even though God tells you, no, I want you to learn the secret of contentment, the culture tells you, no, I want you to be happy. Even though the Bible never says God wants you to be happy, the Bible says God wants you to have joy, and joy does not depend on what's happening outside of you. No wonder when your marriage goes through a difficult time, you want to bail, not because you don't have joy, but because you don't have happiness. But because happiness drove you when you were single, happiness drives you when you're married. Number four, it says money. And because all we want is show me the money. <laughs> show me the money. And you money is a driver of all we do. And then the last one is freedom. We think we want freedom, and ultimate freedom is when nobody tells me what to do, and I get to do what I want to do. That's not true. Ultimate freedom is found within boundaries, but the culture is not going to tell you that. You don't have a tennis game and enjoy it if you don't have boundaries. you got to have an outside. If there are no outsides, then you can't enjoy the game to its maximum. You don't enjoy football unless you have boundaries. If you don't have boundaries, then everybody does what's right in their own eyes. You can't ever know the score. But yet still, we want to have ultimate freedom, which is why we want to get rid of the Word of God. You don't have, you don't have freedom, ultimate freedom, unless you have boundaries. Yet still, our culture 
says, this is what we're built on. And guess where this has showed up? In the church. And guess where it showed up in the church? In our marriages. So now the pillars of our marriages are all five of these. Tell me what they are. Number one is self-sufficiency. Number two is independence. Number three is happiness. Number four is money. And number five is And so we live our lives based on all of these. So let me show you what God says and what the culture says, which is why you have to realize what's driving you to make the decisions that you're making. So when you say self-sufficiency, that's why you don't need anybody else. That's why you don't want to go to counseling. That's why you don't want to have anybody else help you because you think you can pull it all off, off all by yourself. And you can't. That's why God says we need the community. Confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. So if you're not getting healing, it's because you're not confessing. If you're not confessing, it's because you think, I can pull it off myself. I don't need nobody. Don't bring nobody else in here. We good. We can pull it off by ourselves. Well, how's it been working for you? Not that good, is it? And then you go to independence. And you raise up. And you say, I don't need God. I can do this. You want to be God-dependent, but you want to be independent because you believe that is the way we will, we will muster up the energy to plow through it. And God is saying, hey, I created you with a hole in your heart so that you need me. Not maybe, you need me. And if you don't need me, then life's not going to work out because you're void me. And you can try it all you want. But God says, until you realize you need me, then all right, let's see how it's going. The next one, happiness. He says, I never ask you to be happy. What I want you to be is content. Whether you have much or whether you have little, whether you have a lot or whether you have nothing, I can teach you how to have joy in the midst of a messy situation. But yet still, what we want to do is if it ain't joyful, you think, then, then it must not be good. Let me remind you of something. Healthy marriages are boring because there's no drama. Ain't no drama going all over the place. Woo! No, no, no. The more drama there is, the more unhealthy it is. But, but if you just do what you're supposed to do every single day, ain't no drama around you, then it's supposed to be you being faithful every single day. That's boring to the world, but exciting to God. So he says, marriage, it should, happiness shouldn't drive. Then he says, money shouldn't drive you either. This is not the goal. You got, we make it look like, 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 like you just need to have everything you can. And if you don't, then something is wrong. The rest of the world don't live with what you, all the stuff we got. And they are delighted and happy and content and joyful with 5% of what you got. And then the last one is freedom. God says, I'm going to put the parameters around you so that you can truly enjoy freedom. All right, let's move on. So from there, then why do you think people get married? You ever wonder this? You're going to see why you got married. And it wasn't for a godly reason. But you're going to see why. I'm going to give you five of them right now. The top five reasons people get married today. Watch this. Number one, security. Number two, children. Number three, companionship. Number four, there it is again, happiness. Number five, it's cheaper. Uh-huh. 
Five reasons. You must ask, don't ask in church when you go home. Five reasons. Why did we get married? Some of you got married because of security. I just don't feel secure. And, and unless you're here, I'm just not going to feel secure and safe. So I just need you in my life to make sure that I feel safe as if there is no God. Number two, I want some kids. That's what I want. So because I want some kids, everything in my company is going well. I just don't have a spouse, and I don't have a spouse because I don't have no kids. So I need the spouse to give me some kids. So therefore, the real reason you got married is to have a spouse so you can get some kids, so you can go look good in the boardroom so that everything looks like the American dream. And so you need some kids. You want to you carry on your legacy. You don't want it to be we're here and then we're done. So let's carry on the legacy. Number three, here we go, companionship. It's lonely. It's lonely. So I need somebody else up in here, up in here. It's lonely. I don't like to be the starfish in the bed when I can spread all my stuff every which way. I need somebody. And as soon as you get the person, you'll be like, I, I want to be a starfish again. I want to be, you get out of here. You're messing my flow up. But you long for companionship, so you made the decision to spend the rest of your life with somebody because of companionship. All of which is the wrong reasons to get married, by the way. The next one is happiness. I, got, I was happy. I wasn't happy. Singles. So marriage going to make me happy. Okay. Let me go. Anyways. Uh, it's cheaper. It's cheaper. So if I'm going to live in the burbs, I'm going to that church over there. We need to live in the burbs. So then I need somebody to help me pay this note. Because one income can't pay this note. We got to go way south, deep south. <laughs> so in light of that, I need somebody. So God, don't send me nobody that don't have no job. They got to have a job because they got to help me do this. I don't need them if I got to help them. They got to help me. Do you see all the things that are wrong about this? That's what we say. Five, top five reasons, I'm for real, top five reasons people get married. None of these is biblical. This is not why you get married. But yet still, these are the five reasons we get married. No wonder when a little bit of pain comes, when a little bit of uncertainty comes, what happens all of a sudden? We're like, oh, yeah, no. Mm -mm. No. I don't feel secure. The kids ain't worth it. You're not a companion. <laughs> I'm not happy. And you too expensive. It ain't cheap no more. <laughs> Do you see what I'm... When you have this foundation, you run into it for all the wrong reasons, and all of a sudden, it's easy to get out because you didn't go in there for the right reason anyway. You went in there for all the wrong... You love the limo. You love all your friends at the little wedding. You love walking down the aisle, and everybody say, hey, and you'll be like... Hey, and you be looking up, babe, babe, babe. Three years later, you be talking about, you ain't nothing but a dog. <laughs> What's up with the babe, 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 babe? I can't stand a bone in your body. I, wi I wish you were dead. My life would be so much better if you were dead. Don't look at me, that's what y'all say. That's not what you say on the marriage day. On the marriage day, uh, 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 
man, man. Couldn't get enough. Spend $100,000 on that wedding, and then you go off somewhere, spend another $30,000, and you bore it. So now you're in debt. All for the wrong reasons. So why then should you get married? Here it is, first page of your sermon notes. Why didn't you get married? He tells us. He tells us. The reason you get married is because, by the way, by the way, by the way, do you realize that ain't nobody married in heaven? Do you realize that? Ain't nobody married. In heaven, ain't nobody married in heaven. The person you're married to is Jesus. No, here's the problem. This is such an important point. Here's the problem. Because guys in my role and me, pastors like us, we don't teach you the importance nor the significance of being married to Jesus. So therefore, the only thing you have to yearn for is another person, and you have avoided the ultimate relationship, and you have prioritized the penultimate relationship for the ultimate relationship. So now you have people dying, and so when somebody says, well, I just want you to wait, they're like, well, wait, I'm sick and tired of waiting. That's because we never taught them that there was something greater than marriage. So the culture thinks the only thing that can happen and for sure bless this world is when you get married. And that's not true. What the ultimate is, is the fact that you get to be married to Jesus. And when you say that, the, it's, it's, it's like if I said to you, everybody get, everybody get 100,000, woo! But when I say the ultimate thing is for you to get married to Jesus, you'd be like, huh? That's because we haven't taught it well enough so that you're convinced that the prize is not a mate. The prize really is Jesus. It really is. Which is why when you come here, and when I said a while ago in the wedding, and I said, hey man, what you're saying I do to is to every other thing you will meet that you don't even know about now, that you're committing to God beforehand that you're going to fight through it. But then when these pillars are your goal, you don't care about your commitment to God. When these five are the reasons you get mad, you don't care about your commitment to God. That is why whenever somebody said they're ready to get the divorce, well, we just got to do it for the kids. As soon as the kids leave, we leave. So that means your, your kids are really your God. Because you just stayed to what kept you together is not God. It was your kids. So when the kids go, you get to go too. Or on the flip side, you say, well, we just want to protect the kid. So you care more about the kid's heart than you do God's heart. But you love to use your kids as the excuse because you worship them. So now you want to look at the kids and say, well, kids, we just don't want to, um, we don't, um, we just want you to see a good example. So therefore, you shatter their hearts. Talking about we just want them to see a good example. And so some of you now are going to the extreme, like you always do. You throw the baby out with a bath. Well, Pastor, what do you want me to do? He beat me up every single day. Every single day. He pouncing on me. You want me to stay and show that to the kids? Obviously, I'm not talking about that because most of us, that ain't no issue. Most of us, the little foxes, are, she just get on my last nerve. He just get on my last nerve. I can't stand him no more. Why you can't stand him? I just can't stand him. Why do we get married? Here we go. We get married because, flip it for me now. 
um, God desires to marry us. But this is not, this is not, this is not amen. This is not say it, pastor. This is not organ music. That ain't organ music. This is just truth. And truth that we're not used to hearing. So therefore, the next part even going to blow you away more. The reason you get married is because God wants us to embody his unfailing love to the church. So when you get married, the reason you get married is because you can't wait to see how God's going to turn the situation so that you get to love somebody that's hard to love, but you get to love them through it because that's what God gave, did for you. You're hard to love, but God still loves you and still pour his love toward you. And now in marriage, you get to show the world what it looks like when God's inside of you and you get to love somebody else. But nobody don't want to praise God on that. Why? Because your foundation is independence, self-sufficiency, happiness, and freedom. Therefore, because those are my foundations and not the Word of God, then why should I do this? And so now you get mad and you send me letters that I don't understand your story. And you're going to tell me the reason why your story is different. And all I have to say to you is the reason why your story is not that much different. Ah, is because whatever you did to God, he still forgave you. Your problem is that your arrogance minimizes what you did to God. And your arrogance says, I'm not that bad, but this person, they wicked. Let me help you scoot up and look in my face. You are wicked. And God still died for you and loved you and forgave you and healed you and made you better. So because God did to you, he now asks you to do it to them. Woo! Preach, Pastor. I know you ain't going to hear it. This not going to be the highlight reel today. It ain't. Let me show you how important it is to God's family. Come, let me show you how important it is to the whole word of God, which is why the enemy is after marriage. Here we go. Watch these. There are five of them. Five reasons in the text to show you why. Number one, the Bible begins, put all five. The Bible begins in marriage. Number two, the longest verse in the Torah or the first five books is on marriage. That's when Eliezer um, um, sends and went, goes to get Isaac, a wife. Remember this? And uh, he looks, but he doesn't look on the inside. He looks on the outside and what they're willing to do. Remember that? Longest verse in the whole Bible is on that. Number three, um, of the Ten Commandments, the first four, ladies and gentlemen, first four are about God. The last six are about each other. Or relationship. Three of those highlights marriage. You want to say marriage is not that important to God? The next one, the primary metaphor in all of the scripture is God's unfailing love to somebody who disappoints him. It's the primary, it's the primary metaphor. The last one, the Bible ends in marriage. So all the way through the Bible, it's all about marriage, marriage. The longest verse, uh, uh, when they're getting Isaac a wife, all the way to the primary illustration in the Bible is marriage. All the way to the top of the six commandments that relates to each other, three of them relates to marriage. You want to tell me why it's not important? That's why the enemy wants to destroy every marriage there is. That's why he wants you to get married to the wrong person. That's why he wants you to lower your standards just to get married so he can feel good. That's why he does it. So now let me give you the five and then we're done. There are five reasons that Paul says, you want a list? Here's your list. You want a list of people that you need to go look for? Here it is. Here it is. Um, um, Jada, Jada every now and again asked me to go get some um, almond milk. 
And then she asked me to go get almond milk. Here's what I do. I said, all right. She wants some almond milk. It's about 10 o'clock at night. Kroger almost closed. I got to get there quickly so the kids can have some milk in the morning. So I need to go get some almond milk. So here's what I do. I don't know if you like me, but this is what I do. I go in the car, go the almond to go. And I'm supposed to go straight to almond milk, but I don't. Because oftentimes something catches my attention. So I go on the office supply line. I have no business being in the office supply line, but I go down there because I, I always need yellow sheets. So I go get another yellow one, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, oh, this is, oh, they have a new little trinket, and I get it. And oftentimes, I leave the store without getting the milk. No, I know what I'm supposed to be looking for, but I go in the store, and my feelings get in the way of my direction. Well, my problem is that what we do at shopping, you do in dating. So God tells you what you need, but your feelings got you going in another direction. You see the dude's body, and all of us are, he start talking that sweet nothing. Oh, baby girl, I got you. I'm puffy. I'm puffy, baby girl. I'm puffy to you. And all of a sudden, God tell you what you need, and you're drifting over here into never, never long. Five areas. Number one, speech. Number one, speech. He says, hey, man, if the person is a cusser, if they're a liar, if they're somebody who, uh, who's always negative, if they're always showing you the negative side, then listen, everybody, please listen to me. They're, they're fishing from a pond. The pun that the mouth speaks out of is the heart. So if they're cussing, and if they're cussing to you and they like you, then what's going to happen when they don't like you? They, you finna hear words you ain't never heard before because they're living at their best behavior right now. So you lower your standards talking about, well, well, I think the Lord brought me in his life to help him along. Okay. Well, you know, I just like when he shares his heart and how he hates everybody at work and how she hates everybody at work. It's only a matter of time before they hate you. If hate is a part of the equation for anybody, it's only a matter of time. It's going to be for you. I wish I had more time. I don't. Let's go. Next one. Number two is conduct. How you live. Your behavior. Ladies and gentlemen. And that story's told about, true story, of a wedding that happened, and everybody's all together, and the couple, bride and groom, come down, and then the pastor gets up on the in the wedding and says, hey, is there anybody that knows of a just reason why these two should not be married today? Speak now! And so one of their exes stood up. First of all, why is your ex at your wedding? What, what is wrong with you? How do they know about the wedding? Why are you giving them an invitation? Now, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. True story, true story, true story. I know, I know, I know, I know. Did you know that, that he was arrested for physical abuse? So which the pastor says, oh, did you know that? <laughs> so the pastor said, I can't do the wedding then. I want y'all to talk about it and let's marry y'all, you know, in a couple weeks. So let's delay the month, work things out, see if that's what you still want to do. Two weeks later, broken arm. Here's why. It's not because God don't forgive people. It's not because God can't heal people. But why you always want to be the one that has the miracle? 
Give a notice that you are, oh yeah, with me, he's going, he's a miracle worker, uh, a promise keeper, uh, a light. <laughs> Why is it always you? Sometimes you can take a pass and say, I, I don't need a miracle for this one, God. I just need somebody who loves Jesus. Can I get a witness, somebody? Amen. Number three. Number three. Say, number one is, number two is, number three is love. All love says is this. You need to know what they love and you need to know what you love. Because all of us love something and it ain't God. You need to figure out what the person is in love with. So for some, so some people, some people, the pandemic killed this one. For some people, it's shopping. And they in love with you. And all the pandemic did was, you don't have to go nowhere no more. All you got to do is that click, 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 click. So they can be in love with the idea of shopping because of an insecurity that they got to put something on to feel good about themselves. They don't need Jesus to feel good. They need the clothes to feel good. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody now. I'm preaching to some. Or if for 27 years... They haven't won a Super Bowl. <laughs> and yet still, when it's time for the boys to play, everybody, all, all quiet, please, in the whole house, do not come in here. Kids, they get, get, get out. No kids allowed from 12 to 10. No kids allowed because this is the time where dad gets to worship. Be careful what they love. Ain't nothing wrong with don't go to the extreme again. You tell me you can't watch football. Ain't nobody telling you you can't watch football. All I'm saying is just make sure you love God more than you love football. Which means, stop, which means, which means you're not going to tell your kids, kids, we ain't going to church today because we got to get ready for football. You just told them who you love more. Say it. Number four is faith. Number one is, number two is, number three is, number four is faith. Now, this one, this one blows my mind every time. Why is it that we always want to figure out um, faith. But when you're looking for somebody, you don't look for, you don't go to places of faith to find somebody of faith. You're always shocked when you go to the club and find somebody that says they're spiritual. Well, well, pastor, they said they were spiritual. Does that mean that, why are you looking in the club for somebody of faith? Let me help you out. Come here, real quick. I got to go, real quick. It's like going to, um, it's like somebody blindfold you and take you to, uh, to Barnes & Noble. If you're looking for a Christian book and, they're blind, and you just start picking books, you just start picking. The likelihood that you get a book about Jesus is very slim. Lord of mercy, if they blindfold you and you go to Mardell's. The likelihood that you get a book about Jesus is very high because that's all they sell. Then why is it that you go places 
where you know ain't nobody who loved Jesus is in there, but you hope you're going to find one this time when you go, and you're going to be the only lucky one that finds somebody at Jesus who in an unworldly place, an ungodly place, but so, I don't know what they're doing there. Anyway. By the way, I don't know what you're doing there either. But you're hoping that God will show you a miracle again. Why well, you always want God to show you a miracle? The last one. <laughs> I'm, I'm done, man. The last one is purity. Lord have mercy. That one is purity. Can I ask you a question? If I go to a, a, a building that has 100 floors, and I go to the edge to look down, I have one question for you. Are you going to jump? Okay, well, if you ain't going to jump, why are you looking over there? <laughs> if you're not going to jump, what are you looking for? How, how far it is, if you're going to make it, if on the uh, when you get to the 50th floor, if there's going to be a, a, a shoot that comes out and just have you. You're doing the same thing. Why are you going over his house? You're driving over there. And you'll be like, Lord, if it's your will, Lord, it is not his will. Lord, let him not be there if it's your will. He just called you and asked you what you're doing. And he just said nothing and you said nothing. Then what you're wondering if he's at home. Uh-huh. If you have, if you're not going to jump, then you have no business getting up the elevator trying to convince yourself that you shouldn't go near the edge. Why are you preparing your body on the way up the elevator? This is what's happening inside your body. And you're going all the way to the edge and expect that you're not going to jump. Lord, have mercy. If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. amen. All right, I'm done. My time is up. Let's pray. I don't, there ain't no soft landing. We crash landing on this one. I'm done. <laughs> Father. <laughs> Father. Will you help everybody in this house realize that we ought to get better in our speech? We ought to get better in our conduct. We ought to get better in our love. We ought to get better in our faith. Will you help all of us take a look at the mirror and not give excuses about our purity or about any of the other ones, but do our very best to be surrendered to you in every one of those areas. If that's an area of struggle, thank you for your grace. Will you help us now? Fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us not to make excuses, but to own our junk so that we can move in the direction of health in the name of Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth chances. 
we're grateful for that. Now help us to be the testimony that says, if I can pursue Christ in the midst of it, so can you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen. come on, give God a round of applause. Come on.